Greetings, this is Dr. Chris Bergwald, Director of the Office of Evangelization and Catechesis with the Catholic Diocese of Sioux Falls, and I'm happy to introduce the following presentation from a Faith for Life seminar held in Sioux Falls on November 15, 2008, on the topic of the genius of woman, being a Catholic woman in the 21st century. The presenter is Ms. Jeanette DeMello, Director of Communications and Archdiocesan Spokeswoman for the Archdiocese of Denver and Archbishop Charles Chaput. Ms. DeMello is also on the board of the National Catholic Women's Organization in Dow. This is the last of three talks which Ms. DeMello gave. I hope you enjoy this presentation, and may God bless you. Okay, we're going to go ahead and begin. I've got so much I want to share with you that's just not possible to share because of time. So we're going to do a quick um, recap. Can you hear me okay? Okay. Um, and then I'm going to move on to my third talk. Um, so the, what was the recap? What was the beautiful, the beautiful picture? <laughs> um, we created a beautiful picture of what man and woman looked like in the beginning, right? Man in paradise with every wonderful plant and every interesting animal and every breathtaking view that he could possibly want to see, but none of it satisfied him. Um, None of that satisfied him, and none of that fulfilled him. And so what, um, what God did was he saw that desire, he saw that unhappiness, he saw that solitude, and said, um, this isn't good. Uh, and he wanted to share personally with, excuse me, God seeing man's desire to share personally was, was what caused him to create woman. He wanted this personal sharing, and he couldn't have a personal sharing with the dogs, with the cats, with the cattle, with the fish. He wanted to share personally. And so man gives him a gift of another, like himself, who is compatible with him, so that they can be mutually one for the other, so that they could imitate the communion of God's love, right? We know by revelation that the Trinity is a communion of persons, three people. And it, they're bound by love because they're selfless and they offer for one another. And what basically happens in the creation of Adam and Eve as partners is there is a mirror of the Trinity. There is a mirror of love. There is a mirror of interpersonal communion. That's what's so unique about Adam and Eve, so different from Adam and the animals is that interpersonal communion. Again, like the first story of creation, we can say, wow, this is amazing. This is an amazing place, right? But we didn't stay in that place. We didn't stay in that place of paradise. We, um, we left it. Um, when in the first session, we talked about the distortions of sin. And now we talk kind of about where sin enters. Um, enters the plan. Uh, it wasn't part of the plan, but it entered. And we see where the history of male domination um, starts and where this conditioning starts. Um, in the Catechism uh, number 397 and 398, the Catechism speaks of the original conditioning, or the Pope speaks of the original conditioning of men and women. And he refers to this line in the Catechism 
that this is where a distorted view of man and women entered at the fall. Man was tempted by the devil, let his trust in his creator die in his heart, and abusing his freedom, disobeyed God's command. This is what man's first sin consisted of. For, and subsequent sin would be the same, disobedience toward God and lack of trust in his goodness and in his plan. So what we, what we read about is Eve being in the garden, and she grasps for what was not given to her, right? The tree of goodness, uh, the, the tree of um, knowledge of good and evil. And Eve grasps for the tree and takes what was not given to her. She disobeys God <laughs> in doing that. And, and she, she, I think, establishes this posture of grasping, right? Grasping for what was not a gift. And where was, where was Adam, by the way, who was meant to be her partner and meant to be there with her? I mean, he was nowhere to be found. <laughs> his post of being at the side of the woman as her helpmate. And this is where sin entered. And what do we see immediately? We don't see any longer the communion of the two, right? Which is, I am for you and you are for me in self-giving love. Gaudiumet Spes, one of the, uh, the, the documents that came out of um, Vatican Council said, man cannot fully know himself except by a sincere gift of himself, right? Well, we lost it at this point. <laughs> you know, what happens when God says, what have you done? Where are you? You know, basically Adam and, and Eve begin to blame each other. The battle of the sexes begins, right? They begin blaming one another. She did it. The woman you gave me to help, help me. She did it. <laughs> and, and what does Eve do? She says, I was tricked. You know, it's like all of a sudden she starts playing the, the, the ditzy blonde. You know, I was tricked. The serpent tricked me. I mean, the battle of the sexes begins. And, um, and, and it, con it continues, you know, to this day. And we can look at this and we look at it with sadness. And we could look at this and we could feel hopeless. Like the distortion that we looked at this morning is just all, uh, that's, that's all there is because of the fall. But that's not true. Because when you read Genesis and you read um, the, the, the story uh, or, or you read what happens after the fall, um, it says, Then the Lord God said to the serpent, and he condemns the serpent, right? Because you have done this, you shall be banned from all animals and from all the creature, wild creatures, and on your belly you shall crawl. You shall eat you, you, dirt you shall eat in all the, day, all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will strike at your head while you strike at his heel. To the woman he said, I will intensify the pangs of your childbearing. In, in pain you shall bring forth children. Let your urge be for your husband, and he shall be your master. To the man he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, which I had forbidden you to eat, cursed be the ground because of you. In toil shall you eat its fruit 
all the days of your life. It's pretty sad. <laughs> but in this is what is called, Pope John Paul calls, the Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel. Okay? What are the gospels? They tell the good news of Jesus Christ. So why is this the Proto-Evangelium? Why is this the first gospel? Because it mentions, it, put, it, it, it prophesizes Jesus Christ, where it says, I put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will strike at your head or you strike at his heel. That's talking about Christ. That's talking about the victory that would be won. There's hope. There's a message of hope in this. Do you remember the passion of Christ? Do you remember the beginning, the agony in the garden, and that awful snake? And how does the movie begin but with he smashes the snake's head? That's what we're talking about here in this proto-evangelium. The beginning, the foreshadowing of Mary. So Mary is the woman who restores woman, right? Through Christ. Okay? She opens her life. She opens herself in obedience to, to God's will in the Annunciation as she accepts Christ in her, as her son. Her life was going to change. She knew it. But here, obedience to God's will, openness and receptivity restores woman to who she is. And we're going to talk about that um, now in a, in a kind of separate talk. Again, I'm sorry, I'm sandwiching a lot into one, um, into one day. But uh, I had prepared this talk, and some of you had actually found it on the Internet. I had given it before. And I'm going to try and give this talk, which is about about Mary um, and focusing on her a little a little bit more specifically um, so I'm going to pause for a second and we're going to do shuffle some things around here the title of this talk is A Woman's Passion okay A Woman's Passion that can mean so many things, right? We're all women. A lot of women here are very passionate. You know, when we started speaking, you, uh, when we started asking for discussion, you, you had many passionate things to say. You, you got fired up. A few of you have come and talked to me, and I see the passion and the love in your eyes. There are many passionate women here, and we see many passionate women around us. Uh, uh, the women I showed at the beginning um, were... You know, Sarah Palin, Hillary Clinton, all of them, they're, they're passionate women, right? When we think of the word passion, we would say they're passionate. We also can, can think of passion and, and really sort of judge um, what are they passionate about. Maybe it's not a good thing. Um, but let's watch a little bit about women's passion. Let's try 
too slow. Maybe I need to. Can we just refresh the disk, um, Chris? Sorry. Yeah, just pop it in and out. Sorry about this. So this talk that I gave, um, I gave this talk in Lent. Okay, so you're kind of getting a version of the talk that's geared toward today. Um, and it was for an Endow Women's Luncheon. They do, um, Endow typically does just study guides, but they also do in Denver um, these professional women's luncheons so that we can um, reach a, a, maybe a group of women that we couldn't otherwise get into the studies, but we just offer them quarterly a, a lunch and a, a lecture or talk. And, uh, and so I had the idea of um, wouldn't it be fun, fun, wouldn't it be great to meditate on um, Mary in the, passion, the movie The Passion of Christ as a, a, a Lenten... Yeah, we meditate on the passion of Christ as a Lenten meditation for women, and so that's what this is adapted from is that that presentation. So go ahead, Chris. No, it's gone. Oh well. Sorry, I watched it this morning. Anyway, it's all right, Chris. <laughs> Basically, what I showed in this video um, was a lot of fun scenes. It was Scarlett O'Hara and, and just the way she attracted men. Attracted men. It was um, Melanie, who was the, the, the soft, quiet, gentle, serene one who, who attracted the one that Scarlett wanted, <laughs> you know, the man. Um, it, 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 it shows... An affair to remember, you know, there's a passionate woman in that who is self-sacrificing. It shows uh, Sally Fields in uh, Steel Magnolias who, who just shows a, a wonderful example of motherhood, you know, in suffering, right? It shows uh, fried green tomatoes, you know, and Iggy and, and uh, I forget the other woman's name and just um, their whole life of, um, of being mothers or of, of working and, and so basically, it just shows women. It shows women working. It shows women in motherhood. It shows them um, being the center of attention um, of the men. And it was, a fun, it was a fun thing to get us thinking about what passion is. Um, all of these women who I, I mentioned were compelled by strong emotions and feelings. They were bold. They took charge. They were, they, they were strong. Someone said earlier when we were talking about what women are, they were strong for their cause. They showed interior strength. They held things together. They were tough through the hardest of times. And they did great things despite all odds. Perhaps the underlying feelings and emotion for each of these women uh, was different, you know. When we look at Hillary Clinton and, and Sarah Palin and we look at me, or uh, we have different motives for perhaps for our passion, but there's still passion, right? There's, there's still a... Um, there, there's still a, a being compelled by a strong emotion, which is the definition of passion, to be compelled by a strong emotion. I'd prefer, though, instead of dissecting what passion is good and what passion is bad, 
to talk about something else that all these women would have in common. All of these women who I spoke of, Sally Fields in, in Steel Magnolias, um, Iggy in, in, that, in Fried Green Tomatoes, they all suffered. Scarlett O'Hara, you know, suffering. She, it's the land, and she, she holds her family together. They all suffered for their cause. They all suffered for their families, for a loved one. They suffered for justice. They had, their strong feeling or emotion, again, which is what passion is, led them to suffer. It led them to action, even though action was difficult. The full definition of suffering in Webster's Dictionary is to have passion also means to suffer. In fact, the etymology or the root of the word in English is from the, the word passion in Latin. It's the word for suffering. It refers in the dictionary to the suffering of Christ. When you look up passion, it refers to the suffering of Christ. So passion is linked to suffering. Part of being a woman is in some way linked to suffering. I'll try and play the next book. Hopefully, has everyone seen The Passion of Christ? If you remember Mary in that movie, um, the, the Passion of Christ, when we watched that movie, was almost just as much about Mary as it was about Christ. You see her constantly and consistently throughout the movie. And, and where, she, where is she in this movie? Um, she's following Christ the whole way, the whole way of her cross. From that moment where she was awakened in the middle of the night, to the foot of the cross. She's just following Christ, right? So we're going to talk about Mary. To have, a, have passion is to be compelled by an intense emotion that frequently causes us to suffer. To have passion means to be impelled by emotion to the point of enduring suffering. And above all other women we watched um, today, which we didn't watch, Mary is the passion, in the Passion of Christ shows what it means what, what the truest definition of passion is. She suffers with Christ. She suffers purely for the other. Mary, we can call Mary the passionate woman. Okay, We're all passionate women. But Mary is the passionate woman. In the passion of Christ, Mary is different. Her, her image is different from any other image of the mother of God that we are familiar with. Right? We, because we typically see pictures of Mary and she's got the blue veil and she's got blue eyes and she's very fair and um, very serene. 
Um, she's pristine, you know. That's the image that we see on holy cards. But that, this image of Mary kind of shatters that image because this Mary is worn. She's a mature woman. She has lines and wrinkles. She awakes in the middle of the night with anxiety, thinking about her son. Um, she senses danger. She knows pain. And she knows when injustice is brewing. So many of you are mothers or sisters, and you know what that feels like, right? To just know when injustice is brewing or when pain is out there in the one you love. This Mary is frightened. You could see her fear in that movie. This isn't the same image that we usually get of Mary, the pristine one. This Mary is shaken. You can see her emotions. She gets dirty. At the end of this movie, she's a mess. She's dirty. She's got the mud of the, of the journey on her face as well as the blood of her son. Her body is weakened by the experience of suffering, but she still suffers with him. And I paint this picture because I think it's a picture that we can identify with that you can identify with. We know what suffering is. And just because we're learning about what it means to be a woman and we're kind of painting some good images of women doesn't mean we're not going to suffer and get dirty and feel weak and vulnerable. Mary did. Our example, our model did. We see that Mary, even in her suffering, I mean, this is her son who's dying. We see that in this movie, The Passion of Christ, Mary Magdalene runs to Mary. Peter and John run to Mary for support. So even in her vulnerability and in her weakness, she is still a sign of strength and support for the people around her. For Peter, she is a, she is a reminder of Christ's love. And remember, he, there's a beautiful scene where he falls at her feet and cries and weeps and remembers Christ's love. Mary is a gentle reminder of the humanity of Christ. So here's Peter denying Mary, right? I mean, excuse me, denying Christ, getting ready to run off, denying Christ. And he sees Mary and falls at her feet because it's a reminder of the humanity of Christ. Just like women are supposed to be reminders of the humanity of persons in the world, that's our, one of our responsibilities is to be a reminder of the person of humanity. Mary was a reminder of humanity. The centurion, um, there's a, a scene in the Passion of Christ where the centurion's getting ready to, to, to drive a lance into Christ. And he sees Mary. And he does it. But he sees Mary and he remembers that she is a mother of a person. This person is Christ. Again, just a simple reminder of the humanity of Christ, of the humani humanity of the person. Um, another remarkable thing about this image of Ma Mary is that though she feels emotion, though she's torn by emotion, though she, as she watches her son die, she's not paralyzed by emotion. She stays with him. She keeps following. On the flip side of it, it's not like she's completely stoic and she doesn't show or feel emotion. Part of the dangers of the feminist movement oftentimes is we don't want to show that emotion. You know, We want to be stoic and tough, but part of being a woman is feeling. <laughs> you know, And we don't need to, to be stoic and not show it. That's not, that's not what we're called to. 
We're called to follow Christ. We're called to endure suffering, but we don't need to. Uh, uh, we don't need to be stoic. We can show it. We can show that it's we're vulnerable. Mary feels. She acts. She follows. She wipes the blood of her son from the stone floor. She runs up the hill of Calvary to catch a glimpse of her son along the way. She pushes through the crowd to touch him and to, to reassure that, he, that, that she is with him. She stands at the foot of his cross, enduring the agony of her own heart. She doesn't abandon her vocation. She doesn't abandon the following of Christ. She is selfless, but herself is involved, right? We women have this tendency to serve and serve and serve and serve and serve as if our identity depends on our service, right? We're made for the other, and we should serve. That's a part of who we are. But we can't forget ourselves, you know? We can't forget ourselves. We have to keep reminding ourselves of where our dignity comes from, not just from service, you know? And we also have to bring ourselves with it. Show yourself. Show who you are. Show your pain. Be vulnerable. Especially with other women, you know, because we can love one another. We can be brutal to each other, but we can be a beautiful source of support for one another. Mary, I'll, I'll walk a little bit. I mentioned Mary's, um, Mary kind of reversing Eve. Eve was the mother of, of all the living, the, the gospel, I mean, the Genesis says. Eve became the mother of the living. Mary becomes the mother of those who are newly alive in Christ. She becomes the new Eve, and she does this uh, at the Annunciation when she opens her life to another. She gives up her own plans for her life, and she endures the criticism of her pregnancy, which could have gotten her killed. Then think about it. She run, she, she's with Joseph, and they have to uh, travel for the census. And, and so here again, her plans are changed. She has to, to, to travel in, in, in her state of pregnancy. She has to deal with this insecurity of, no, of not having a place to stay. Yet through it all, she remains optimistic. She makes do with what she has. You know, resourceful. I remember someone saying, women are resourceful. Mary is a model of that. She made do with what she had, the, the manger and the, and the shelter. She welcomes others. I mean, she just gave birth. She, she didn't have to welcome the, the, uh, <laughs> the shepherds, you know, these men coming out from the fields. You know, like, but she welcomed them. She's, she's continuously welcoming Also, she's, you know, as, as Christ grew, she, she held in her heart all that was happening, and she watched him grow into the man he was becoming, knowing, because of the prophecy of Simeon and Anna, that he was to suffer and that her own heart, heart would be pierced. We also, sometimes as women, have a tendency to cling to what we love. You know? Mary didn't cling to that. In fact, when the time came for Christ to start his ministry, she's the one who kind of kicked him into doing it at the wedding of Cana, right? She encouraged him, and she said, Woman, it's not my time. 
And he, she's like, yes, it is. <laughs> you know? she, even though she knew where that would lead him, she encouraged him. And that's a beautiful capacity that we women have. What does this teach us about our own feminine character? Again, this is a review of the, of the, the uh, genius of woman. It's a review of that special, unique gift that we have. We, too, are called to be passionate. Our bodies and our souls, our womb, reveals kind of what our soul is about, about receiving the other. It, re- it reveals, our bodies also reveal a compa- the, the disposition to be passionate, that we can endure suffering because we, it, it's actually medically, they say that women can endure suffering better than men. You know? And part of that is, is childbirth, that we were made for, for, this, for childbirth. And, and that just shows that we, we can endure suffering. The, the women that we still see suffering today, that, that awful, those awful pictures that are put up with suffering women in drastic ways, you know, they, they don't have to stay in that suffering. They can endure it. We have that gift, and we women need to encourage each other to, to know the dignity that, that we are able to endure with God's grace suffering. Sometimes there, there are young women in the room. Um, there are people, women who are not married, and a lot of this is hinging around our ability to be mothers, right? A lot of the discussion about womanhood hinges upon the ability to bear children. And yet, it's not that you need to bear children to be fully a woman. <laughs> you know, it's a wonderful and marvelous gift, and those who, of us who are called to that we, it should be embraced. But all of us are called to motherhood, and that's spiritual motherhood. We need to remember that. Young women, we need to remember that, because even though we're at a, a, a state in our lives where we're single, we still have this responsibility to be fruitful. Someone else I remember said, fruitfulness is a characteristic of feminine genius. We're called to be fruitful in our lives. We're called to nurture and to bring forth fruit. We have to figure out how we do that in our own and individual lives. Those of you who are mothers, you're not off the hook just because you're physically mothers. That's not all your fruitfulness is. Your fruitfulness has a deeper <coughs> meaning, a meaning that it's care for the souls of nurturing and bringing forth fruitfulness in the glory of God, which is in, in, in souls and bringing them closer to God. Where does our passion come from? We already know. We reviewed creation. We know that it's a God-given gift. We know that all of this is a God-given gift that we can cherish. This is how Pope John Paul puts it, that in God's eternal plan, God chose the woman in the order of love, he calls it, the, the woman is the one where the person takes first fruit, right? Conception. The woman is, 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 has this order of love because it is in her that, that a child takes 
its first, it, uh, humanity takes its first root. Okay? We have this, this command almost, a vocation to love, to put order, the order of love into the world. In Mulieris Dignitatum number 29, Pope says, A woman is strong because of her awareness of this entrusting. She is strong because of the fact that God entrusts the human being to her, always in every way, even in the situations of social discrimination in which she may find herself. This awareness and this fundamental vocation speak to women of the dignity which they receive from God himself, and this makes them strong and strengthens their vocation. Thus, the perfect woman becomes an irreplaceable support and source of spiritual strength for other people who perceive the great energies of her spirit. These perfect women are owed much by their families and sometimes by whole nations. That's Proverbs 31 about the perfect woman, which is tomorrow's reading. How do we do this? How do we, how do we live um, in imitation of Mary? How do we live this femininity? We have to always remember receptivity. You know? I, I think that this receptivity um, can only come when we're rooted in prayer and that when we're praying constantly um, for God to inspire us in the way that we live out our vocations. You know, whatever our vocations may be, we're all women, but we live in very different times, different circumstances, right? We have different specific calls, personal calls in our lives. We all have that nurturing capacity um, if, if we choose to receive it. We all have this, uh, this call to be fruitful in our lives, but we need to receive how God wants us to do that and that requires deep interiority, deep contemplation as the lady in the back with us. And we need to remember that. We can't get caught up in our busyness. You know, we can't we can't get caught up like Martha did in just in just serving, 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 and serving. We need to be active. That's a part of our call. But we should be drawing deeply from interior strength. We can't get caught up in simply doing. So what if the house is a mess? <laughs> you know, don't don't sacrifice a clean house for an irritated and restless spirit. <laughs> you know, gain an interior spirit of peace and watch the order come. I have to remind myself of this in my own in my own job, <laughs> you know, as, as things spin out of my control very frequently with too much to do. And um, I've started to pump into my staff that I want calm and tranquility to be our mode of work. You know, and for women, I think interiority and drawing upon um, who we are in Christ Jesus is where we need to operate from. And I guess I, ch I challenge you in the, in the closing moments um, to really dig, dig down and, and try to examine that in your own life. Do, do you get caught up in, in, in creating an identity for yourself um, by activity? You know? 
by being the superwoman that we've got many gifts and so we, we're able sometimes to do many things but are we really drawing from our interior strength are we really connecting and receiving a message um, from our Lord Jesus? Are we looking at Mary as a model for our lives? And I encourage you also to take um, take the scriptures and, uh, and look up the stories of women in the gospel. There are beautiful stories that I, um, I love meditating on them and we can find so much richness on how to live our own lives in those scriptures. Scriptures. The woman at the well was a know-it-all. She, she was kind of like me. I, um, I tend to battle uh, with people with my mind, you know? I, I, I like to get caught up in argument of intellect. And that's what she tried to do at the well. Um, and she was working, you know? She's pulling up the water, and here's Christ trying to talk to her. Um, and she's like, I'm working, you know, this is, this is my job, this is what I'm doing. What are you talking to me? I'm a woman, by the way. You know, don't you know that you're not supposed to be talking to me? And she keeps keeps trying to talk to her, and um, and she keeps pushing him off. And she she tries first with um, uh, with arguments of, about where to worship, you know, or don't you know I'm a Samaritan? You're not supposed to be talking to me. And then don't you know we have different ideas of where to worship? Just constantly pointing to the differences. And all he says is, I know you, you know. I know who you are. He answers her questions, but he gets to the bottom of it. What are your relationships like? He asks her, you know? Where's your husband? I don't have a husband. You know? He knows these things, and, and he, get, he digs, digs down deep, and it's a beautiful passage for us to meditate on, because ultimately what he's saying is, I'm the answer. You know? I'm the water that will refresh your soul. And I encourage you, you know, part of my point today was to to really walk through feminism, see what we see. We're all coming from lots of different walks of life. We know different aspects of feminism. We know different aspects of um, obstacles that women face, right? So we walk through the history of it. So we kind of get a common ground with that. But then we walk back, to, we go back, back to the basics. Where does it all come from? Where does our dignity come from? And I we always need to go back to that. I encourage you to go back to it frequently. Just because you know it up here doesn't mean you know it here. So go back to the basics. Go back to the beginning very frequently. Go back to Mary very frequently to remember who you are. And then receive. Then receive it so that you can live it. Let it permeate your life so that you can give glory to God for creating you. Thank you. We have some a question? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am.
again, another, she, she was talking about Mary, and she said that Mary, um, it's like she preceded my talk, she didn't even know what I was going to talk about, but she said that Mary is, uh, can be a model or a comfort for anyone who suffers, you know, and, and there's so much suffering around us. I, I become stoic sometimes and hard because I don't, I don't want to see it. I'm tired of seeing it. But that's the wrong way to think about it. You know, we see the suffering, we praise God for seeing it. And then we pray for the, the, the ability to maybe just offer a little bit of comfort. You know, if we can't do it with our words or our action, we can offer that person up to Mary and just ask that Mary comfort that, that person. So Mary is truly our model. And, and so let us close um, with a Hail Mary. And then um, maybe Father can bless our food for us. May the Father and the Son Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus.